Hello and welcome back to the Macro Ball Podcast. Thank you for joining. On today's episode, Phil and I continue our 20-ish game check-in and we narrow in on three teams specifically. First of all, the Indiana Pacers, one of the surprises of the season so far. The Los Angeles Lakers, you may have heard of them. And the Minnesota Timberwolves, a much maligned franchise, but one that looks promising as far as being a legit contender in the Western Conference, and one that may be able to compete for a championship this season. This is episode 27. Let's go. Let's get to the Pacers. So I'll quickly run over the stats here. The 12 and 8. Their offensive rating is the best in the league by three points, uh, 123.5, which is insane. They have the best assist to turnover ratio in the league, the best true shooting percentage in the league as a team, ninth in basketball references, simple rating system. So I'm taking a lot of what's happening with Indiana with a grain of salt, um, but I can't deny like this team is an incredible offensive show. Like they they just put on a show every game. It's insane. And, like it's so obvious to say what Halliburton's doing because everyone's seeing it. Yeah, but man, like one of so far. Remind you, we're a quarter of the way through the season, but the way things are playing out, one of the best seasons we've seen from a point guard in recent history. Like yeah. ridiculous stuff that he's doing. I saw a stat that he could get. It was like 155 turnovers with zero assists, and he'd have the same assist to turnover as Steph. Like his, his assisted turnover is like five point two or something. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Five point eight, something ridiculous. Um, it's, it's a historic number. The makeup of the team is just like I don't want to say perfect because I don't think they're a championship contender, but so close to being a perfect team. Yeah. Um, I think Bruce Brown can definitely step up his level of play from what they were probably expecting to get from him. Okay. Um, but feels like the ship has sailed on them wanting to trade Miles Turner every season. Yeah. He's there to stay. Um, Obi Toppin, I think, has found a home. Um, Definitely. Benedict Matherin is doing what we expected him to do. He gives them a boost. Um, You know, Buddy Heald might get traded, but if not, his value's there. Yeah. And they're well coached. Well coached. Like, I, when they hired Rick Carlisle, I wasn't a big fan of it. I thought his time in the league might be up soon. Um, Not unfair. But he's he's just proved that he knows what to do. Yeah, he's a vet, and he's uh he's been described. Rick Carlisle's been described as a bit of a um like mm. a crazy scientist with his basketball teams. Um, maybe not to the degree of like uh some of the other coaches, but I think he's up there as far as coaching quality and and sort of knowledge. He's been around the league for years. I actually didn't like it because he used to coach the Pacers many years ago, and it felt like he's coming back to the old well. Um, you know, it was kind of a lazy move, sort of like the Hornets hiring Steve Clifford. Yeah. Although Clifford and Carlisle shouldn't be in the same sense. I apologize, <laughs> Rick. Um, but yeah, so they've been excellent overall. Uh, I, I think mean, one thing he really deserves credit for, um, in regard to his growth as a coach as well is, um, there was a conversation when he, in his Dallas days, they didn't give his point guards the keys. He, yeah. like, there was no such thing as an on-court coach with his teams. It was very much his way. That's why Rondo didn't get along with him. I think that was part of the reason they moved on from him with Lucas 
um, mm. sort of time. But you got to give him credit because Tyrese has the keys. Like he is like as I, I hate the whole conversation about you know true positions, but he's as true as a point guard's meant to be in today's game. Hundred percent. No, I think. Uh, I mean, I would say Carlisle and Tyrese are a great combo. Like not having a point guard, like the whole concept of point guard on the floor is like, I don't think you can even fight that because you're going to have someone on the floor who is an extension of the coach. Yep. And I think it was Nick nurse who had said once that like he encourages his players to give him feedback because their players are going to see things that you, a coach can't watch every single aspect of the game. Like some of them may be really excellent at managing the game and subs and watching how a defense is going. But like if a player is smart enough and willing to give feedback, if a coach doesn't listen to it, I think that's foolish. Yep. So not saying Rick Carl doesn't do that, but Tyrese has been a perfect embodiment of the point guard position this year. I agree. Um, just to quickly run over his stats, 27 and 12, pretty wild. Um, 53% from the field, 44% from three, 88% from free throw, Eighth in true shooting percentage. That's the best for a guard in the NBA. Slightly ahead of Steph. It speaks volumes. Yep. Um, he's fourth in player efficiency rating. Uh, he's third in blo- uh, box plus minus. First in offensive box plus minus ahead of Jokic, which is insane. He's kind of like the guard version of Jokic this year. Um, yeah. Third in VORP and 41st in usage. This stat blew my mind because that's the old Jokic trademark that I've referenced before where it's like this insane efficiency and obvious um, like he's the fulcrum of the offense and yet he's not that high in usage. Jokic is actually fourth this year, which is ironic um, because he was usually below 30 or 40. But yeah, Tyrese is doing all this with an actually limited amount of usage, which I think is amazing. And to me, the the most important part about Tyrese and how they've played this year is he plays with a a uh, an enthusiasm that's contagious, and I don't think it's just him that's doing that. I think you know Bruce Brown probably brings a bit of like championship enthusiasm, that sort of stuff, riding a bit of a high from last year when he proved that he deserved a contract um, after years of being thrown around in trades. Yep. But I think the Pacers they have the they have an it factor this year, despite that. Like I don't love that they don't play any defense. Um, mm. I think when you want to be a championship contender, history has shown that you have to play some defense. You need a good Especially offense. Especially when they have the guys, right? Like they got Bruce, they got Miles. Yeah. Like they shouldn't I, be one of the worst. I think they should be at least average, I think. Yeah, I think Matherin has the talent to be good defensively. Also, Toppin can defend multiple positions when he wants to. He's been a perfect fit on that team too. Of course, didn't happen with the Knicks, a classic Knicks situation. <laughs> um but yeah, the team just plays well together. And I think you're right. They're not going to move off Miles Turner. I think he's having a borderline, probably not going to make it, but borderline all-star ga- uh, all-star season. He's averaging like 18 and 9, something like that. He's playing really well and defending the rim as he usually does. But yeah, so if they can figure out the defense, I think they'll take off for yep. sure. It's funny with them too because the, um, the narrative is starting to be pushed. Like I know you, you didn't really... You didn't dislike, but you didn't see eye to eye when I um made like a Halley MVP comment sort of in the oh. spur of the moment when he was hooping the other day. Yeah. Um, but the media's starting to push like the last five or ten paces games I've watched. Every time he hits a big three, they say something like, "Oh, the birth of a superstar, Halliburton's here," and um, you know, everyone's 
pushing first team all NBA, which I don't think is crazy right now. No, it's um, not. But even Zach Lowe came out this morning and said he's an MVP candidate. Yes. And the, the media, like they all, when one person says it, it breeds. Um, so right. the conversation's going to be like up here for, for the rest of the season unless they fall off a cliff. Yeah. So we might see some pretty crazy stuff in terms of awards and whatnot. I wouldn't be shocked if he's first team all NBA. That's that seems fairly likely, unless I'm forgetting. So it's like SGA Tyrese. Oh, there's no positions. In no there. positions. Yeah. So, mm. but I think those two are probably in there. Um, yeah, they should be like Embiid, Jokic. It's you know, they'll be standard. first or second for sure. Yeah. Uh, MVP is tough for me because, and, and I love this conversation. I actually think that the bar has been set so high over the last uh, what do we got? Five years. So you have Jokic, sorry, Embiid last year, Jokic, Jokic, Giannis, Giannis. Yep. Not to say that Tyrese isn't a great, like he's not, not saying he's not on their level, but I think their bar has been set for the level of play with those three, Embiid, Jokic, and uh, Giannis, that Halliburton has an extra step to go up. But that's not the only aspect of an MVP vote. There's also narrative, like you said. Yeah. Like I definitely get your point with that. And I think you are right. Um, I feel like MVP right now has this, I don't know if you've got the same feeling or if you'll get it. It's got this like energy to the conversation where it seems like people are really eager to give it back to a guard. Like over the last few years, it was like, oh, the big men are winning again. Mm. And it's been half a decade of bigs. And it's like, you know, Tyrese is getting the conversation. SGA's in the like fifth on the ladder that they track or whatever. Anthony Edwards was getting talks before the season. Like, it yeah. seems like there's a bit of a desperate push to get guards properly in the conversation again. So do I don't know think, if that's just me. Do you think this is like a Marcus Smart Defensive Player of the Year type of thing? I don't know. I, I don't even know where it's coming from. It just seems... I don't know. It could be... I mean, if we really want to like put our tinfoil hat on, from a branding <laughs> and marketing perspective, big men have never been as marketable. Um not as marketable, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, I think there's value in guards being the face of your league. Um, and like I said, narrative, off-court stuff, like the the personality of sort of guys like that versus someone like Jokic. I think there's a lot of non-basketball things contributing it to it, is how I feel. Yeah, so let's, I'll continue with this sort of tinfoil hat um, theme. Uh, I think you're right in terms of guards being more marketable. And I'd like to think that there's a, sort of a psychological thing with the audience, meaning, you know, people watching the game, that the smaller players are harder done by because they're smaller. And yeah. so it's more impressive when they play excellent. Um, Steve Nash, great example. Yep. No, not only was he short, he was white. He's at the most <laughs> disadvantaged <laughs> the most disadvantaged player in the league. Um, no, but Steph Curry, another great example. He was dominating as a 6'3 guy. So 6'3, not short by regular people standard. But in the NBA, he's basically a midget. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, Halliburton's 6'5, but he looks relatively small out there. So I think you're an SGA, same, same. I think there's something to that in terms of guards being more marketable. I think... I mean, Halliburton has a charisma about him. I don't, SGA less so, but somewhat. I, I think there is something to what you're saying. Um, I still think that Jokic, I mean, at this stage, is the leading candidate. There's also the whole thing of like, does Jokic really care about MVPs? I hate that that's even part of this conversation. Like, why do we factor that in? Yeah, but it's what people think about, right? 
Yeah, but it's like, sure, Embiid really wants to win MVP and he lets us know that. Okay, cool. It doesn't mean that you're playing better than like yeah. the stats and the performance, the eye test back that up. So For sure. It's yeah, the the conversation. Well, I mean, if it was solely great. based on on court productivity, like I think, you know, the conversation's pretty small right now. Yeah. But I think it's broadening just because of the unrelated stuff that is almost more related than basketball sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't love that it's like I have to accept that it's broadening. You're right, but I don't love it. And so I'll just have to reconcile those two things. Um, but yeah, I think he'll finish probably top five voting, top four maybe. I think he's been excellent, especially yeah. if the Pacers finish. Let's just say they finish top four seed. Yeah. No question. That's going to help a lot. Yeah, he might even get – yeah, despite the the removal of positions, he might still get first-team All-NBA. He should be an all-star starter. I hope that's true. Yeah. There are positions for that, right? Um, yes, that's going back to normal formatting as well. So just east, west, front court, back court. Because he's, he's, I'd say, the best guard in the east right now. The way he's playing, put him above Dame. Yeah, put him above Maxi. Okay, yeah, he's he's got to be starting. I can't think of anyone else that really is on his level. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell, like maybe, but no, not right now. No, agreed. Um, so we'll see what happens with Halliburton. Um. And the Pacers. So let me just give you a quick best case, what I think, and maybe what you think. I think they can finish as fourth or fifth, like I said. Um, they might scare someone in the first round and win a series. I don't think they progress any further than that. That's not a diss. It's just natural progression of the team. Um, worst case, they may run out of gas and lose in the play-in tournament. And then that essentially forces their hand to make some moves in the offseason. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like that. I'm not I'm not mad at either as well. I think I said the other day, like if you're not a contender, your your whole team shouldn't be untouchable. So even if, if they do make moves, I'm not opposed to that either. Because mm. um, it is a big health thing. Like last year they showed flashes and streaks of being great, but when Tyrese wasn't playing, they just like weren't even a team worth looking at. Yeah, exactly. Um so yeah, it's definitely possible. Um can definitely steal a playoff series with the right matchup, but not really realistically going further than that. Um, but yeah. again, that doesn't take away from the stuff that they're doing. No, they're super fun to watch. And I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, sure, they're flawed. Their defense sucks. That's fine. They're, I think they're maximizing what their roster is right now in terms of offense in favor of getting through the regular season. I worry about, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but I worry about the burnout effect of that. Like, mm. let's say game, you know, 68, are they going to be going as hard? Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, I think they um there's value for, for fans and the league in a team like that existing. Like they're like the definition of a league pass team. Okay, let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, your favorite. Yeah, everyone's favorite. Um I honestly <laughs> I actively avoid talking about the Lakers, <laughs> but I think I have to in terms of uh like they're an interesting team at this stage, even though it's we're you know, 20 games in or so. I think they're very interesting to talk about. So quick stats, 14 and nine, fourth in the West. Uh, they're 22nd in offensive rating. They're seventh in defensive rating, 16th in net rating, 13th in true shooting, 16th in uh, basketball references, simple rating system. So not very good in that regard, but some good stats mixed in with some bad. Do you have the rebound percentage? Um, I can pull it up. But what are your thoughts on the Lakers so far? Um, I, you know, most Laker fans would disagree with me. I think they've done better than they should have so far. 
I know I know the average Lakers fan would love for them to be twenty five and zero with an average margin of victory of fifteen points. Um, but <laughs> the health, the questionable coaching, some of the teams they've had to play, they're in a good position and they're ramping up at the right time. Um, I just I just hate how dramatic the fans are because I think the players feed off that as well. Like three games ago was when LeBron got annoyed and he was like, yeah, man, a lot of shit needs to change around here. Oh. And then after they won yesterday, he sent the press conference. We found out, we found our identity. We found what makes us this team. And it's like, it's been three games. And you know what the difference was is three of the six rotational players they were missing came back and played. Brilliant. Like they've got a point of attack defender again with Vanderbilt. Yeah. Rui's been disappointing. Okay. Um, to me. He's playing okay. He's the the productivity's fine, but like I watch every Lakers game. He has the worst case of tunnel vision in the entire league. Wow. And that's really frustrating to watch. Um, he's I think the disparity with Rui maybe it means I need to manage my expectations better, but there's a lot of conversation of over the off season of him potentially starting. He's working out with LeBron, he's he's really shown a lot of growth in his game, he's working out the most it seems like he was probably going to take the biggest jump. I think they thought him and Austin would be the guys that grew the most. And he now looks like a guy that can give you really good production in a really limited role in minutes, as yeah. opposed to just letting him go out there and play. Okay. Um, but apart from that, like, you know, Gabe Vincent, he's only played four games. He wasn't great when he played, but yeah. four games doesn't mean anything. He was kind of bricks galore. Yeah. Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes have had their moments. Um, I don't think Christian Woods really put in the right positions to succeed yet with this team. Like there's been games where he takes one or two shots and it's like, if Christian Woods not taking shots, what's he doing? Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm not a huge Christian Wood fan, but <laughs> I agree. like when you put him in the right positions to succeed, there's, there's, you know, fr- like things can blossom from that. I agree. Yeah. Um, I like that they've worked out what Austin's role is with the bench. Uh, what does Darvin Ham call it? The realignment, not, not a demotion. Um, Cause he, he obviously had some really good playoff moments. Okay. And then over the off season, they wanted him to be the primary ball handler. They want him to become a point guard. They think he can be a future all-star. He's a legit third option. It's not like he's a 19 year old rookie that broke out. Yeah. He's, you know, spent four years in college. He's a grown ass man. Like his, his game is what it's going to be. Yeah, you're right. He's a guy that should be on the floor next to uh, next to another playmaker. High energy, hustle kind of guy. He can slash and get to the free throw line. He can get hot from three if he's open. And it's like, it only took them five or ten games to realize that's what he is. Um, so, yeah. I, I kind of like that realignment. Um, realignment. It sounds like a, like something a, a press conference specialist would have told them to say. Yeah, it's like a, it's a big sugar coat. Um, yeah. And then, like, Bron and AD are what they are, like, especially Bron. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, that, that's a great point. Um, I want to talk about LeBron specifically. Well, I'll first talk about Austin Reeves. So, yeah, expectations-wise, I don't know if this is just, uh, you know, the way he performed in the playoffs raised the level of expectations to whatever. Like, he's him, yada, yada, the, as the means <laughs> He played extremely well, and he had some exciting moments. Um, I remember that 
half court shot he hit against the Warriors yep. and got the crowd like all these things add up to like oh what can he be and it becomes this big narrative of Austin Reeves is really the third option yada yada I think the expectations are too high and like you said he's settling into his role as per the realignment um, I think that's good for him and I think yeah he's a supplementary playmaker he's not a primary playmaker or uh, somebody who's relied on for offense for large stretches of the game unless he's really playing well then you ride the hot hand for that game I don't think that translates over it doesn't translate consistently you don't want to ask him to do too much Uh, and so realigning him is probably best for the team and I think it's worked well so who Um, do you think their, uh, their third option is it's probably Max Christie. But, yeah, uh, Max Christie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely D'Lo. I don't see what the argument would be for anyone else, to be honest. Um, and D'Lo's not even like he. What is he scoring? Seventeen points a game. But yeah, he's not a. He's not a. Um, he's a good third option. I actually like D'Lo in that role, and so I think he fits well with this team. Of course, I think D'Lo ends up being the scapegoat, and uh, probably a little bit of Austin Reeves too. He ends up being the scapegoat for when things aren't going well. Like if D'Lo has a bad game, sure, you can call it out. Let's say he goes two for 12 or something. Um, You know, he's got like four assists. He didn't play well. Okay, sure. Call that out. If it happens over an extended period of time, call it out, obviously. But it's like if he's scoring 20 a game, I don't think people should be upset at him that he's not scoring 25 a game or yeah, that type of um... expectation management. I don't expect the Lakers... I don't expect Lakers fans to manage their expectations. <laughs> so it's like expectations inception, but I think that they should. <laughs> like, well, it, yeah, like it's it's funny, right? Like, I can the criticisms on his game are fair. Like, he really lacks motor. He doesn't really have pace, even though he's made improvements defensively. He has games where he just he falls asleep. He ball watches. He gets beat back door. Like, he, he's not a great defender by any means. And then he offensively, sometimes if his shot's not hitting, it feels like it's better to have someone else out there instead of him. Okay. But what, like, I just, I can't fathom the value that Lakers fans don't see in, he is literally the only playmaker on the roster outside of LeBron. The numbers support that. Like, I I check these stats every few days and I think Bron and D'Lo have the best advanced stats of any duo in most categories for the team. They're both top two in assists. They're both top two in feeding AD, like passes per game. Yeah. Lakers fans love to complain about how everyone forgets to shoot when they join that team. He's shooting 42% from three. It's pretty good. Lowest assist to turnover ratio of his career. Like, so it's, yeah, like I said, Lakers fans should just accept what they got. He's getting paid 17 mil. It's not like he's on 30 anymore. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that that realignment's helped with that. And then I'm actually glad you brought up Max Christie because I forgot to mention him. He's... He was waiting for his turn again, the rotation, and he's once he got it, he was a bit slow, but he started to have an impact a little bit. Cam Reddish, he's come out of his shell. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to turn Max Christie into a meme. It's more of just like, yeah, I guess he, he you know, he is a, a good player when he gets the opportunity. Um, and same can be said for, um, what's his name? The other dude, Shafino, Hood Shafino? Shafino oh, Hood Shafino, yeah. I always get the the double last names. I always <laughs> mix them up. Like yeah. Flexic. Anyway, yeah, they have some good little young players like that. Um, but the main rotation, I think, is is like they had a dream off season by all accounts. Um, but then that turned into expectations of 
you know, this is a, a 60 win team, a 65 yeah. win team. We're talking about LeBron James, who basically plays 55 games every year now, and AD, who's very similar, although he's been healthy so far, and I have to give him a lot of credit. We haven't seen street clothes yet. Um, yeah, and um, I think LeBron's just shown that he really wasn't healthy in the playoffs last year. Mm, and still played really well. Yeah. Classic LeBron. Um, I mean, yeah, for a 30, he's turning 39 in four weeks. Um LeBron doing what he's doing is pretty insane. We say that a lot. It's a broken record, but it's worth talking about. Like this guy is 25, 8, and 7, 41% on threes. That's the best mark of his career, 5.6 attempts per game. This is what I expected from LeBron like three years ago. He would turn into a better shooter and less of a rim attacker. Even though he's got the size, you would always argue that post-ups in mismatches are a good thing for him because he can do everything on the floor. Like He's a supercomputer. Um, he's just lost a step in terms of his athleticism, and that's obvious. Like he's Yeah, like that's fine. You know. It's fine. But he's crafty. Um, there isn't a more intelligent basketball player outside of like Jokic probably. Uh, we're talking about someone who continues to defy logic as as far as what a career can be but i don't think we should expect anyone else to do this for a long time and i'm just glad i'm here on the same earth as him to witness it yeah it's pretty amazing definitely Um, just quickly on ad he's been healthy like i said 23 points per game i expected more i don't know if that's Mm. fair but i think they're they're spreading the offense out a little bit and he's also able to focus more defensively as the full-time center now He's uh, second in the league in rebounds. He's second in the league in blocks per game. He's fourth in blocks percentage. So he's doing everything you could ask him to do defensively. Um, I think he's in the sh- the um, on the short list for defensive player of the year so far. I'd say him, Rudy, and probably I, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. But yeah, Bam. Um, oh yeah, I'd always throw Bam in there. He was my pick. I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah, he's in the short on the short list and i think that's actually good that he isn't as offensively relied upon like maybe like when he was in new orleans he was the number one option he's definitely best suited as a second option in my opinion yeah i think he he probably suffers the most from the lack of playmaking outside uh bron and delo because there are times watching the game with i've talked about it before with the staggering the minutes and maybe i'm overlooking something but darvin ham sits bron and delo at the same time a lot in the first half which I don't really understand because it does leave lineups out there where you go a few minutes and you're like, why has AD not touched the ball? Like, yeah, why am I just weird. watching Rui and Austin take turns playing one-on-one? Um, like, AD is playing fine, but that 23 could definitely be 26. It could be, yeah. And that's probably, you're right, that's probably a product of the lack of playmaking. So do you think there are options, like, with the the pieces they have, um, is there anyone you would sacrifice in favor of more playmaking, or do you think they just play it out how it is? In terms of making a move? Yeah. Um, well, it's a wait and see, because I hope that Ka- uh, that uh, Gabe Vincent can help with that. Um, You'd think he would. He got paid nicely, and he was good in Miami. Yeah. Um, I expected more from him, for sure. Yeah, like he's, you know, he's obviously not the best playmaker in the league by any means, but in small minutes off the bench in lineups when he's playing with AD, you think that he could help with that? If not, Lakers fans have this obsession with Caruso, so some sort of trade's going to go down where maybe he helps with that as well. But even he's not an insane playmaker, so I don't know where the move is if they need to. Yeah, I think they just play it out and live with the results probably. 
Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, do you think that they run the Austin Reeves, Rui stuff? Do you think that's to empower Reeves to be to be more of that additional playmaker? Like to continue to give him confidence and repetitions? Yeah, I think they try and play through him a lot. It's, it's, it is hard because it's how else is he going to learn how to do it if that's yeah. what they envision? But it's the Lakers, so like I said, the fans want them to go eighty-two and zero every year. <laughs> and if he if he just doesn't have it in him, which is fine, when do you start to shorten that leash a little bit? Yeah. Um, but I, I see it being the case because there's a lot of games where um a lot of blowouts, like even the Pelicans game where they're up forty. They play the reserves and Austin in garbage time. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's to give him more reps at that. Yeah. It's possible, but I, I don't know if he has it in him. Yeah, that's fair. I was going to say the the one thing I like about the Lakers, and maybe um, this is recency bias with the in-season tournament stuff, I feel like they have a bit of a – they feel like a flip-the-switch team. Yeah. And I don't think there's that many of those. Like I would say probably Denver, Boston, maybe Milwaukee, and maybe Phoenix, although I'm not convinced of them yet. Mm-hmm. Flip switch kind of teams, essentially proper contenders. The Lakers don't feel it's weird. They I think they're a contender, but they don't quite feel like they're over the they're not elite yet. Yeah, no, I agree. Oh, so a flip the switch team because of LeBron and AD. Like AD in the playoffs is unbelievable. Like that guy just dominates. Yeah, ridiculous. Both sides of the floor. Um, and I'd like to see their offense improve, but yeah, I don't have too much of a problem with this team so far. I think they're probably where they should be. Um, unless Austin Reeves turns into the White Mamba SGA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the the downfall of this team is Darvin Ham. <laughs> <laughs> like please go on it's just he is a second year head coach so there's plenty of time to grow but at the same time there is always urgency when you're the lakers and it i don't think it is just a case of scapegoating it is like there's bad lineup management the schemes and the points of emphasis are poor one game it's braun is the primary ball hand then there's no off ball sets or touches for spot up shooters which is like if lebron has the ball why are you not trying to get shooters open yeah and then the very next game, it'll be Delo's the primary ball handler, and LeBron scores two points in the first quarter, and then he goes crazy when Delo's on the bench, and then it's just like it's it doesn't feel like the same approach every game. Yeah, and that's what I find really weird. And perhaps it's just him experimenting and trying to work stuff out. But it's there's days where it's like, oh shit, like this is okay, this team is that, and then there's others where it's like, what are what are we doing? Yeah, I think that's a good point about experimenting. I think a lot of teams use the regular season as you you benchmark what works and what doesn't, and then you you kind of with the accumulated data you have and information, you you collate that into a strategy for the playoffs. I believe that's what the Lakers would do. They have a I'm pretty sure they have a decent assistant coach staff, so that mm. helps as well. I'd like to think that Darvin Ham, so like I, it's clear that he can command or coach a good defensive team. You'd like to see more, like uh, I agree with you, more variety offensively. Um, I would like to think they can rely on a 39-year-old LeBron less, but I also think that's kind of also, that's what LeBron would want. Like, LeBron doesn't necessarily trust everybody. Yeah. So he's going to be ball dominant. And I think that whole narrative of like, can you rely on LeBron? It does like that conversation doesn't, shouldn't happen. It's LeBron is the, his influence is too strong to change. 
Yep. I, I don't think that's a, a, a conversation that's going to happen. So that's who the Lakers are. And I think, yeah, a, a, a bit more variety outside of LeBron and D'Lo would be nice. It is funny to hear you say, because I haven't watched nearly as much Lakers as you, but to hear about Rui getting a lot of isolation is kind of funny. Well, it's funny because it's, I won't go into it too much. It doesn't feel like it's drawn up for that. It's kind of just like he gets the ball and he's like, all right, my turn. <laughs> okay. So he's got a bit of tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He um, said the worst in the league, right? Some of the worst that I've seen. Jesus. Not like good. he, last guy to kick out to a shooter. Yeah. Okay. Torian Prince is bad at that as well, but that's probably enough Lakers. <laughs> no, I was going to say last thing on them. Uh, best case, I think they finish top three seed, make the Western Conference again at minimum, possibly win a title. I think there probably would have to be some other factors in play there. They have to get some favorable matchups probably. They're, they can match up with most teams, if not every team. But yeah, I think they have the potential to win a title. That's not really a hot take. Worst case, I think they run into a bad matchup maybe in the second round. Mm-hmm. Maybe they run into the Nuggets again. It goes maybe six or seven this time. I don't think they can beat the Nuggets, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't like their chances against the Nuggets. And that's why I think worst case could be first round because... Yikes. Well, just in the sense that like the Nuggets have taken the foot off their gas off the gas a little bit. Obviously, they're not entirely healthy, but I don't think the Nuggets care if they're the third seed. Okay. And the Lakers, they're sort of floating around that middle ground. It changes every day at the moment. They can obviously ramp it up and finish top three, like you said. Yeah. But if they do finish sixth and they match up with Denver in the first round, like I just I don't see a world where they beat Denver in a playoff series based on right now. Mm. No, I'm with you. It's not a favorable matchup. They just, I mean, I don't think you should expect anyone to be able to guard Jokic, but mm-hmm. defending their the Nuggets offense is extremely difficult and the Lakers defense is excellent, but yeah, it's just a tough matchup overall. The Lakers have, they've added that size and that was something the Nuggets just, their front court size and some of the other guys they have, it overwhelmed a lot of teams, especially Miami. Yep. But yeah, it's a bad matchup for a lot of teams, not just the Lakers. So let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves, Phil. Uh, I'll give you some quick stats here. 16 and four right now, number one in the West. Unbelievable. Um, I think the last time that was the case, did, were they at any point number one over the last few seasons, to your memory? Um, I remember there was one year where they started like four and oh, and then they like fell off a cliff when the social media account tweeted about it. So maybe then. That's so funny. But this is, I know this is the longest they've held the one seed since KG's MVP year, I'm pretty sure. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's been since that long. Anyway, so that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so 16 and four, first in the West, 18th in offensive rating, first in defensive rating, Oof. third in net rating, which is really good, obviously, fourth in basketball references, simple rating system. So they're doing excellent stuff. They're beating good teams and beating the bad teams. Um, that's a staple of a contender, in my opinion. First of all, uh, the defense. What do you think's changed from last year to this year? Um, That's a good question because I was watching the game the other day and they were talking about it with Finch. Um, But they emphasized simplifying their system. Mm. Um, Because I remember last year when the conversation was about how the two bigs are going to play, how they're going to stagger their minutes and lineups. They had this approach where they're like, okay, well, when Rudy's in, we'll play drop because that's what he's good at. And because Carl's not good at that, then we'll they, they called it their high wall defense, but that's when they were sort of jumping the gaps on a um, yeah. bunch of pick and roll stuff and trying to force turnovers. And they sort of just felt like 
the adjustment mid-game with each lineup wasn't something they could maintain this season. Mm. So they said they essentially are just going to play the same defense the whole game with the guys that they have, but they're going to challenge Rudy to be able to switch and guard smaller guys for small amounts of time. Um, and it's worked, man. Like, they look so good. Yeah. No, they do look good. I was going to say, so I just pulled up their stats from last year. So the best defensive rating in the league last year was Cleveland. Let me show This is regular season. Yeah. 109.9 was the best. Minnesota was 113. They were 10th, tied for 10th uh, with the Raptors, actually. And then this year, they're 106. And that's first yeah. by a couple of percentage points ahead of Orlando. So that's pretty incredible stuff. Again, smallish sample size compared to a full season, but... To go from 10th to 1st with the expectations you bring in with Rudy Gobert as your guy, um, I think they've finally realized what they should be. And yeah, I was skeptical about the Cat-Gobert duo in the front court. I think we talked about it last year and a lot of people analyzed it where um, it's very interesting to me. Cat had been the center in every scheme and every lineup for years, essentially. And then he's asked to then be a power forward, which he started his career as, I believe. Yeah, I think his first year. He had kind of evolved into a full-time stretch five, and I thought that was his best... um, That's the best way to use him anyway, but he's really worked on being a better four-man, and I think it's paid off huge, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if... um, The the thing I'm interested in is if Gobert... So let's say they get to the... Well, let's say when the playoffs start, not if they get there... Um, we have a matchup where Gobert is kind of played off the floor. Is Go is Gobert going to accept that, or is that going to be a problem? That's something I think about. Same could be said for Cat, although I don't think he gets played off the floor as much as Gobert could. But um, that's something I thought about because again, you're paying you're paying Gobert forty three million dollars. A lot of the time, you want to expect the player who's paid that much to be on the floor frequently. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. Well, I sort of answer that question with another question because will that happen this year? Like the way they look yeah. different defensively and Cat's really good defensively too. Like he's not just good for his standards. He's really locking guys up. Yeah. Um, and then offensively, he's last year he didn't shoot it as much as he should have. He was kind of trying to, I think he was trying to be the perfect teammate mm. and now he's just letting it fly and efficiency's soaring. But yeah, defensively, if Rudy's able to switch and able to, guard smaller matchups and then cat can hold it down if he needs to um sort of lock down the paint that's a great point small time like i i don't really see them getting played off the floor this year the way things are going um the way that yeah the, the way things are going you're probably right um i was concerned i can't okay i can't think off the top of my head of a matchup where that'll happen but if it does happen i'm wondering how how it will play out maybe i'm overthinking it but you make a good point about cat being the perfect teammate because that's something that like I'll, I'll speak to just in a, at a much lower level. I've experienced the same thing where like when I first came to Australia, I was playing basketball with people. I wanted to fit in and I wanted to make sure that I, was, I wasn't a hindrance. And then yeah. it's like, actually, you're really talented, bro. Like shoot the ball more. And it's yeah. like that's something you got to tell yourself. I think Katz um, found that happy medium maybe or he just doesn't care anymore as much which is good he's gotten over that aspect and yeah now we've also seen speaking of finding his rhythm anthony edwards has entered the mvp conversation uh he's averaging 25.7 points per game five 
uh, sorry, six rebounds per game and five assists. He is in that elite category now, I think. Um, 38% from three. He's in my top. He's so he's taken Zion's spot in my personal top five favorite players to watch. Um, that's just because Zion has let me down this year. <laughs> but yeah, Edwards is he's in that conversation. What are you liking from Edwards so far? Uh, he does it all. He he's m- made some strides. I was one year too early when I uh, <laughs> had the MVP conversation predictions. Yeah. Um, but obviously. The athleticism was always there and the talent was there. That was never any question. Yeah. Um, but we've seen back-to-back years that he really elevates his play when it comes to the playoffs. That's not a question. Um, legit three-level guy has the tools and uses them to be elite defensively. Um, like they don't really have any guys on defense that you can pick on. And his playmaking's improved. Last, like last year, he one of the biggest problems with the team was he couldn't feed Rudy. Like, until they got Mike Conley, the best guy at feeding Rudy was Cat when he played. <laughs> like, D'Lo didn't have that chemistry with him. Ant, yeah. Ant couldn't do it. And then this year, like, he drives, he beats one, he draws two, he dumps off to Rudy. And it, it looks so smooth mm. watching them play. Yeah. Um, like, they it look like, like a they, completely different team. It seems like they worked on it legitimately in the offseason. Like, yeah. they got together, they put their minds together, and they go, look, we got to make this work. We can make this work. It's not like they traded for Rudy because they thought it was going to be a problem. Like that, he solved a lot of issues for them on paper, and now we're seeing it in reality. Well, for the record, right? You, you and I were saying that like there's no reason this team shouldn't be good in the regular season when they're healthy, and we we had a lot of people telling us that we were uh, tripping with that one. Yeah, I think it was because. Well, I mean, I don't know exactly why, but. Yeah, I mean, they had everything you could ask for of a team in terms of talent, and it should fit together. The question mark was always, to me, the cat at the four, but yeah. that's been well, solved. It, it's funny, right? Because, yeah, he was he was a full-time five, but when they had the team before the trade, defensively, cat was kind of guarding fours because Vanderbilt could do could guard fives. True. Yeah. and it's But that was obviously because... Vando was quicker, he was more athletic, and he was more versatile. So the fact that Rudy can switch on defense and guard other positions now, I think that's what's enabling Cat to play like himself again. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good adjustment to make. Yeah. So credit to the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, so for me, the question mark I have now with this team is the offense. So they're <clears throat> they're not terrible. They're 18th in offensive rating. Uh, they're actually ninth in both effective field goal percentage and true shooting, which is good. Um, they're 23rd in turnovers per game. Now, if if we look at some of the data, um, I've done a little bit of research into this. Like championship teams, turnovers aren't necessarily a deal breaker. Like okay. there's been some really poor, as far as regular season performance and turnovers are concerned, there's been some really poor performances by teams that won the title. Yep. Um, obviously, there's a hundred different other factors in that championship likelihood sort of uh, scenario but um, I'm not as concerned about the turnovers as far as their contendership but I think they should improve that because why would you want to turn the ball over Um, but their offense overall when I watch them right and I I think they're a fantastic team on paper Edwards and Cat it's honestly hard to ask for a better duo all considered like they they drafted both of them they've grown together it seems like it's working but sometimes it gets into Edwards' ISO mode. And Edwards is a great ISO player. Like, 
I think he might be the best athlete overall in the league. Mm. And that's both sides of the floor. You made the point about his uh, defense. So I think his athleticism allows him to do things like some of his little drives into fadeaways or drives into step backs and spin moves. Like he was cooking against the Warriors. Yep. Um, and then obviously there was that early season game against the Celtics where he basically took over overtime and the fourth quarter or just overtime? Either way. Um, against the Celtics, that was overtime as well. Yeah, he just dominated and he was the guy on the floor that included a floor with Tatum, Jim yeah. Brown. So that spoke volumes. But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes Edwards gets a bit too uh, – he, he falls in love with the step back three yeah. or just like difficult jump shots. Yep. and. I do think there's value in having a player that can make it. Well, is there's value in having a player who's confident in taking and making those shots. Like that's what, if I can just quickly reference DeMar DeRozan, that's actually something that DeRozan tried to become when he was in Toronto. And now he's, he is that guy, but it's sort of like, I want to be the guy that wants to take and make difficult shots because those come up in the game, almost every game, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. But there's still something, I don't know how to, how to put it like i feel like edwards can do better in that field yeah no i agree it's um the the athleticism with the skill that he has he very well could be unguardable um yeah it is a hard one to work out because we i don't want to compare him to Giannis, but we have this conversation in our group chat a lot right where it's like he could get downhill and go to the rim every single possession and then it's you'd like them to have a bit more versatility and shoot the ball but then you don't want to take away from what they're good at. It, it's obviously not a great one-to-one comparison because um, yeah. they played two totally different ways. But yeah, like you got to have the versatility and the option and he's got to get the attempts throughout the season so he's confident to take those. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, like he really didn't need to settle for a difficult shot when he can just make easier shots for himself. Yeah, I think he does get... There's some tunnel vision that happens, and I think he yeah. try, sometimes and this is just my observation. You might disagree, but I think sometimes he feels like if things go wrong offensively, or if things are a bit stagnant, there is a bit of a force the issue with him, mm. where that's probably more just of a young player, a product of a young player trying to learn how to play the game and how to how to settle offense down and stuff like that. Like I can't hold that against him too much, but I see that a lot from him. There's a bit of tunnel vision. Uh, and I mean, his playmaking is excellent, but yeah, sometimes those things concern me, but I mean, overall the pros w- much outweigh the cons this year. So he's been a huge net positive for them. Yep. Like massive. And, um, I think he'll be in the conversation. I don't think this is his year, Phil, even though I'd, you'd love it to be, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, not this year, but in the next few years, I think, I think what will, what will push him over the top for MVP is, so, like I said with Halliburton, uh, the bar is set very high, but what can happen for Edwards is if he continues to play at a elite level over a few years, it might be like, okay, actually, this guy, he's for real. It's not just a fluky season. Yeah. The team has success. He's the biggest reason for that, et cetera. So, I think we're a few years off, but it could happen. Yeah. It's not crazy. I think he's definitely got, um, not now, but obviously, because he's still so young at his peak, he's got best player in the league potential. Yeah. Um, especially with the way the ages work out by the time he's old enough to be that. Jokic and Embiid and Giannis, those guys are going to be mid to late 30s. Yeah. So it, it works out for him to sort of step into that. We obviously yeah. don't know if it happens or not. Um, it's a great point. It could happen. Um, as far as the Wolves, another thought I had is that 
this Carl Anthony Towns contract could mm. become a problem. And I don't think this is the only team that has this. Like Jalen Brown's a great example of this, yep. where it's like, sure, you got to pay him because it's probably the best option you have overall. But you also paid him a ridiculous amount of money. Then the next guy, so in this scenario, Jalen Brown's the next guy is Jason Tatum gets paid. For the Wolves, it's obviously Edwards. I don't know how they're going to manage paying two guys, you know, 60 plus million dollars a year. That's just insanity. Yeah. Obviously, everybody bets on the the cap continuing to go up. So maybe the cap goes to like 250 million and it's um, just doesn't really matter then. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just doesn't matter. It's more about like one way to look at it is percentage of the cap. So it's not that the money is a huge figure. It's like if as long as it's a certain percentage of the cap, then it's not really a big deal. Yeah. It's just the number is proportionally larger now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Absolutely. Um, now that I think of it, like KG's contract when he signed the largest in NBA history at the time, that would be like a $300 million contract now. But it was at the time, it was probably worth it as compared oh, to like a, a Jalen Brown. Yeah, it's not the same. Right? <laughs> but yeah, if you if you extrapolate the way like the inflation of the salary cap, yeah, KG was getting paid ridiculous money back then. Um, anyway, so Cat's contract, right? I was and still sort of am in the camp of trade Cat in terms of the money specifically in a vacuum, mm. but I don't think it's going to happen because th- they're playing so well. Yeah, it's like they got no reason to, but if if things ever do go wrong at any point, that's kind of like the first domino to fall. Yeah, and I guess you know Cat's shown that he is a multi-time All Star. He can average twenty-five and twelve in his own right. Someone. Because in my mind, someone is going to be hesitant to trade for $60 million worth of Carl Anthony Towns, yeah. but he probably is that value if he's the number one guy. I think the interesting thing with them is for a team that's led by a guy that's 21, I think it's like the window doesn't seem that big because we're talking about Kat's contract that's going to come up. Rudy's not the youngest player in the league. Yeah. Just due to money reasons, guys like Kyle Anderson will probably have to come off the books. Mike Conley's yeah. going to retire. So they're, they're well-managed as an organization now, and they're, I could say well-coached. I've been hard on Finch before, but I think he's proven himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it gets to a point where if they don't do as well as they want to in the next two, three years, they kind of have, they got Ant, they got Jade, and they got Nas Reed who we haven't even talked about. Nas Reed's been on another level. Um, yeah. But it's like, after that, what do they really have to look forward to? I'm actually offended at myself that I haven't mentioned Nas Reed yet. I know. We should have just said his name 50 times, like a Twitter <laughs> thread. <laughs> to his own own episode. No, honestly, yeah, Nas Reed's been on one. Um, I just think he, like, okay, so what's funny is if we trade Cat, I actually think Nas can step in and do a reasonable impression of Cat. Like Nas isn't that far off. He's not a superstar like I guess Cat is probably conceivably. But I think Nas is really he's only playing 21 minutes a game. I don't know what his per 48 stats are, per 36, but like surely it's not Oh, here we go. So he's 21 points per game per 36, 7 rebounds. Like he's a serviceable starter. Yeah. No, you um you can definitely uh, fill that fill that role to an extent. Um I think one of the most underrated things about him that's probably not appreciated enough by everyone is how willing and able he is to play with sort of whatever lineup they throw out. Yeah. Um, plays well with Rudy, plays well with Cat. I think they had a lineup earlier this year where he was out with both of them mm. at a certain point and it didn't look too bad. 
Wow. I think that happened. Um, That's so he's he's like almost become like a plug and play guy. Yeah. No, I love the guy. I think he's the perfect bench big for them yep. because of his shooting. And he, yeah, he can defend the rim a bit. He can rebound. He does a little bit of everything. Once in a while, he throws in like an in and out crossover into a dunk. Yeah. I love that highlight so much. It's just so dirty. Um, but yeah, Nas is, Nas is the guy. I wish Jaden was healthy so we could talk about him because he's he's going to be something in this league. Well, he's only what, 22 as well? Yeah. like I think he's pretty much yeah same timeline as Ant and he's ridiculous. Yeah, if you keep those two together, that's an excellent combo of uh, offense, defense. Thousand percent. Um, okay, so then best case for the Wolves. Best case for the Wolves, I think they finish top seed in the West. They make the Western Conference Finals. Anthony Edwards and Minnesota are officially on the NBA radar. It's not just some flash in the pan. Um, that would set the expectations pretty high, but I think it's deserved. Worst case, they stumble in the first or second round against a bad matchup. Gobert punches someone else in the chest. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, what do you think? Um, they're a hard team to hard team to gauge because they. I really think they can match up with anyone. Um, Agreed. They they gave Denver the most trouble last year. Yeah, um, like it was a five game series, but they were they were super competitive games. It's I don't know. It might sound crazy to say, but I can see a finals appearance. Maybe like Western Conference Finals. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, finals is a bit of a stretch, but like I said, I picked him as my dark horse, which is weird for a number one seed, but I can, I can definitely see them going that way. Um, worst, yeah, it's yeah. a dark horse one seed. I, I think you're right. It's an accurate way to put them. Well, no one would pick them, right? Like, I don't think right. the average fan would, but I'm like, what reason do I have to not think that they could do it? You should ask them that question. Yeah. Um, worst case for them though, it's, I don't even see any bad situation. I just think it's a matter of they get into a matchup in a competitive series and it's one of those that can go either way. Yeah. But I don't see anyone that just walks over them, like, unless they have injuries, which you never hope for. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, let's say, yeah, let's say Gobert went down with an injury. I don't think it'd be the worst possible thing that happens to them, even though that would significantly impact the rebounding and rim protection. But yeah, they, they have some flexibility there. But if they lose the wrong guy to an injury, just like any team, it's going to pose a huge threat to their um, their uh, ability to proceed in the playoffs. But um, yeah, I like the outlook of this team so far. Everything's everything's green light, except the, the, the like I said earlier, the offense can be improved, but we'll see how that goes. I think that's a matter of repetition. 